0: Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined from the Columbia Bureau by colleague Dave Matter, and we're here to break down another Missouri football win. The Tigers are rolling, and now they're headed back out on the road. We'll get into the homecoming win against Ole Miss, how the Tigers played without star linebacker Kale Garrett, how Kelly Bryant looked on that healing knee. Good signs there, and uh, and also talk about, of course... What's ahead for Mizzou? When is this NCAA punishment going to be upheld or reversed? Because now people are looking at that schedule going, hey, the Tigers could be playing in a pretty meaningful bowl game if they're allowed to go to one. We'll get into that, look ahead at that big Georgia game that looms at the end of this series of road games, and also talk a little Mizzou College hoops. Can the Tigers overcome low expectations this season? Plenty to discuss with Dave. He's on the line. Dave, how's it going, and how was homecoming weekend?
1: It was uh, Columbia was packed. The the fans showed up for sure. I mean, it was their first announced sellout um, in four years, and you know they didn't have to fudge the numbers. That place was packed. Now they've they've reduced the capacity of the stadium this year, which I thought was a smart move. But it didn't seem to you know lessen the atmosphere at all. I, I think that that place was rocking. Um, it was a it was an entertaining game. You know, it was not one of these blowouts at halftime to where. Missouri just kind of had to roll out some helmets in the second half and and you know go on cruise control. They actually had to make some plays and make some stops, but they still were always in control of the game. I never there's never any doubt they would win, which I think was good for them to actually have a contested game in the second half because they're going to have more of those obviously here down the stretch.
0: Absolutely, and and good to mention the the crowd and the, the energy in Columbia. It's the first. Full capacity crowd since before the the football team boycott. So I think that's a milestone moment of saying, "Hey, um, you know, people are invested. People are back tuning back into this team in part because they've now won five consecutive home games." I mean, there was so much talk about the disappointing season opener at Wyoming and and, and it's fair I mean they, they really stubbed their toe to start the year and had a chance to kind of squander the excitement and the momentum that was really unprecedented five games at home but it seems like by the end of this trip or by the end of this homestand um, the Tigers have really gotten some goodwill built back up fans are back interested they're now ranked um, 22 in the country in the AP poll. They can't be ranked in the coaches poll because they are currently under a postseason ban. Um, hope they're hoping that gets uh, flipped on the appeal, which they could hear any day now. We'll get into that. But but there does seem to be Dave like there's a return of positivity of excitement about this football team after the really uh, bad upset at Wyoming. Yeah,
1: there really is. I mean, part of it part of the crowd is homecoming. If, if when people have one game they want to come back for, that's usually it. Um, but that's okay. Um, you know, I, I think they they showed up in force, and it was it was a really good environment. I was down on the field before kickoff, chatting with Gary Pinkle. He was down there for uh, um, his charity was involved with a, a little boy who was doing the kickoff was a, a cancer survivor, so he was down there, and it was his first time down on the field that close to kickoff. You know, not in the locker room with the team, and he looked around the crowd, and they were already it was already pretty full. And, and you know, he even made the comment to me, he's like. This should be like this every week, not just homecoming and this this place has the potential to do this now that Barry's team is you know winning and winning consistently like this so um yeah we'll we'll see the test is gonna come what happens the next time they're home, and this schedule is so unconventional it's it's so weird they're gonna go thirty five days between home games, which is Missouri counted it up, I take their word for it. it's the longest of any power five team this year stretch between. Home games and a lot can happen between <laughs> that Ole Miss game and yeah. when Florida comes to town. Not just on the field. I mean, by then the the uh, NCAA appeal committee could have their ruling out. If it's not good, to do, do the does the bandwagon empty off? Even if Missouri wins two of three or maybe even three of these games on the road and upsets Georgia, uh, you know it's it's really going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Not just you know what the news is but but how it impacts the crowd and and how fans respond to it
0: totally i mean this team could be coming off of three road i mean best case scenario missouri beats vanderbilt and kentucky as it should stuns georgia and finds out that it's postseason eligible that would be like the dream scenario for a missouri fan more realistically missouri wins van against vanderbilt and kentucky um, you know, plays plays Georgia, and, and, and we, I think most people are going to pick them to lose that game. Although Georgia did lose to South Carolina, a team a team Missouri has already beaten this year, and yeah. then and then even I think the excitement will be what are they playing for? Postseason or or bust? By that time, they should know. Although they thought they were going to know last month, so a big range of 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 kind of vibe that that Missouri could return to when they come in for that next big home game, which is going to be a big game regardless. I mean, Florida coming to Missouri, there could be some big SEC East implications on the line there. Um, But first they have to meet Georgia on the road. And they kind of get, ideally, two kind of tune-up road games for that, Dave. And I don't want to call Kentucky a tune-up game, but I think it's safe to say Vanderbilt is at this point. I mean, Vanderbilt has one win. It was against Northern Illinois. They have since lost to UNLV. Got thumped by UNLV last week. It certainly seems like, you know, all the constant discussion about Derek Mason's job security in Nashville is finally reaching a head. Where I don't think there's there are many people saying that this guy is going to be around much longer. What happened to Vanderbilt this year? We talked a lot going into the season about how they had the skill positions of oh, that would make any team, including the heavy hitters in this conference, jealous at running back, receiver, tight end. They 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 are even worse than 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 probably the most negative Vanderbilt projections could have expected.
1: I think it all starts at quarterback. You know they brought in a grad transfer Riley Neal from Ball State. He just hasn't been the answer. You know Kyle Shermer was a really good quarterback for them for four years. Went under the radar nationally, which which happens when you're at Vanderbilt and you're you're at best winning six games a year. But he's their all time leading passer. I think he's with the Chiefs now. Um, and we just have not been able to replace him. And it's, it's a shame because you've got one of the country's best running backs in Keyshawn Vaughn, Jared Pinckney, a great tight end, um, Lipscomb, a really good receiver. All three of those guys could have gone to the NFL draft instead. they came back for their senior season. And their offense can't even function. It's, it's wild. They're last in the SEC in just about every category. They're in the 120s nationally in just about every category. Uh, and I think a lot of it just comes down to they they don't have a quarterback back there that can they can take advantage of of having those really good skill position guys. Their defense is is really young. That's been Mason's specialty over the course of his career. But they again are also bottom of the SEC in just about every category there is. They have played Georgia and LSU, so they've they played good teams. But that doesn't account for losing at home by twenty four points to UNLV and. Yeah, you know, everybody wanted to scoff at Missouri losing to Wyoming, a Mountain West team. Wyoming's a good Mountain West team. UNLV was one and four when they came to Nashville. Their head coach, Tony Sanchez, he was a high school coach last year at Bishop Gorman, the big powerhouse in Las Vegas. A very unconventional hire by UNLV, and he walks into to Vanderbilt and they won going away. So that was I know that the Nashville writers are, are saying that's the by far the worst loss of Derek Mason's tenure there. I'm not sure he survives. If they really care about football and they have a new AD there, then I don't, I don't know if they can you know, go on with him next year if this keeps trending this direction. And I, I suspect it will. They still have to play the bulk of the SEC East the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, I think Missouri's gonna blow the doors off the Commodores uh in this game. Um I, I really uh, think Missouri's on a an upward trend and, and, and Vanderbilt is downward. And when you look at the at what Barry Odom's teams have done against guys, coaches, SEC coaches who are who are struggling with job security issues, they usually become yeah. one of the final nails in the coffin. It's kind of their MO. They they've gotten some guys fired and th- this might be another case of that. Um so th- that's kind of the, the rundown of the of the game. But we haven't talked much about what you saw kind of in the game in homecoming, and I'm curious, beating Ole Miss 38-27, to 27, we talked last time about how this was kind of a dangerous game for Missouri for a few reasons. One, their their quarterback was fast and liked to run. Their entire team was built around the run. They had the advantage of, of knowing that Missouri was without its leading linebacker and kind of quarterback of the defense in Cale Garrett. And they also had a defensive line that was going to be able to get some pressure on Kelly Bryant or conceivably with his uh, questionable right knee. So on those two topics, what did you see from the press box? I, I, of course, was, wasn't there. I was covering the Cardinals, but I'm curious what you saw in Kelly Bryant and how he looked with the knee and also how you saw the Tigers' defense cope without Cale Garrett. Obviously a kind of bend-don't-break game for the defense, which I think you put a gold star on their helmet and say, hey, you guys stopped a good running team without Cale Garrett in game one, and let's build off that. But what did you see from your eyes?
1: Yeah, You know, John Rice Plumley, the, the, the quarterback who I was really impressed with. I mean, he's, he's as fast as any SEC quarterback I've seen in a while. And uh, he wasn't enough, though. They just Missouri did a really good job of shutting down their other running backs you know, he made a few plays in the passing game, but nothing to ever really hurt Missouri. They did score first on a kind a breakdown defensive assignment for the for the Tigers, but you know, it's, the defense was good enough. They and Barry Odom said that after the game. He, Cam Wilkins, who got his first start in place of Kale Garrett, he said, "If if he plays at that level the rest of the season." This team and this defense is good enough to win games, and uh, and I, I I thought that was a pretty good way of putting it. You know, not great. Nobody carried him off the field or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I think he had five or six tackles. They only got one turnover. Um, you know, so sometimes I think the law of averages is going to say you're not going to score a defensive touchdown every week like they had been. Right. But the defense was the defense was fine. It was it was good enough to win. I, the story I thought was how well they played offensively and how bad they were. Barry Odom and Derek Dooley, they, before the game, or after the game, they said before the game that they really put it on the offensive and defensive line to win this game. It was by far the best performance by Missouri's offensive line all year. They they kept Kelly Bryant on his feet for the most part. The running game was at its best, averaged close to six yards per carry. Uh, They got Dawson Downing involved. He had a 54-yard touchdown. Larry Roundtree looked like an all-SEC running back. They got Beatty involved in different ways. Kelly Bryant you never would have known he was hurt. I mean he he didn't he didn't run it a lot. When he did he was fine. He was really fluid inside and outside of the pocket. He threw the ball well. He had one interception, but he made up for it otherwise. Jonathan Johnson was really good, you know, catching passes. I think he had 8 8 catches for 100 something yards and 5 of those went for first down. So it was a really balanced um prolific offense. And you know, I, we've said before this offense could look better in the stat rankings, but they haven't had to really play in the second half of a bunch of games. So this is one where they had to, and they were unstoppable, 562 yards. And that's a that's a credible Ole Miss defense, not an elite defense, but a credible one, and Missouri got what it wanted most of the time.
0: I think that's the the best news there is that Kelly Bryant looked – unlimited and uh and and that is that is the offensive line was realizing, hey, we gotta keep this guy upright. <laughs> so that's uh that's yeah. that's that's good news on the on the Mizzou front on the in terms of the the injuries. And you know it's uh the defense is gonna have to be I think it's just gonna have to be resilient. I mean you're not gonna replace Cale Garrett. You're not gonna have your him scoring touchdowns anymore like uh you know more than your leading receivers. Uh, you're just gonna have to find other ways. But it, I think that they passed their first test against a team that's offense was really its, its strength, especially around the ball where the linebackers are, are a big part of stopping that. So the question that everybody wants to know now, and you had a great piece on it this week, and, and I thought it was really smart of you to say, hey, I'm hearing all these questions, so let me answer them um, for an article. When is the appeal going to be revealed and Jim Sterk is flat out saying now that he thought they would know by now and he doesn't understand why they don't know certainly Mizzou fans wearing their tinfoil hats are saying well of course they're going to wait to see you know how well we play before telling us we can't go in the postseason the best way to think about this I think is that if you're a Missouri fan it's that you're banned from the postseason so that's the that's the way things stand now so don't expect that to change unless you hear differently. They're not rehearing the case. They're just, they're re, they're looking at the appeal. So they're either going to approve or, or deny the appeal, which if they say, Hey, this is a, this appeal is correct. Then they're going to let them in the postseason. Potentially they could, you know, they could appeal, I think grant certain parts of the appeal, right? They don't, it's not all or bust on the postseason. They're looking right. at all the different factors of the appeal. So that's something to keep in mind as well.
1: Right. And you know, I, the more Missouri has won games, and the fact now that they are alone in first place in the SEC, East, granted it's only two two games in, people suddenly have freaked out, fans have, <laughs> and there's this new level of anxiety. And it seems like a lot of people either didn't pay attention to what we all wrote back in January when these sanctions came out, or they soccer. just forgot about how it all works. So I just felt like, okay, I'm getting bombarded with all these questions and all these conspiracy theories. Let's just put something out there. You know, address some of these things of what we know now uh, and and then how the process all works and it, I, I think it almost raised more questions because people continue to have these conspiracies here's Here's one thought that I've gotten from Missouri, and i I tend to believe it the the appeals committee there's a good chance that they have known and decided all along and they have known for weeks, if not months what the ruling was going to be, but it takes time to. Put it all together. These are folks, four or five people. One of them had to abstain because he's a lawyer or a law school professor at Georgia and you can't be involved with a team from your own conference. So it's four people and they have real jobs. Like one of them's a the president of a university, one of them is the associate commissioner of, of, an, of a major conference. So they only get so much time to spend on these things and they end up putting together what is like a, a law brief. I mean, these are like legal documents. It takes so much time. They have to scrub these things through lawyers and compliance departments in the league and the NCAA because they have so much they have to explain on, on how they came about their reasoning. Um, so that's what takes more time than anything. It's it's not that they can't decide. They're sitting here waffling and they're watching every Missouri game and trying to figure out, well, if they win another game, or, you know, do we have to put this out sooner or should we help them out a little bit? No, that, all that's a moot point. But – the closer we get to the end of the regular season and the SEC championship game, I understand why everybody gets a little bit more anxious. You know, it's going to look – if Missouri goes to Georgia at 7-1, and one, you know, in a game that is – it's not for the East, but it is a huge game for the East, and Missouri still hasn't heard and has no idea what this game really means, it's, it's not going to look great for the NCAA. Not that they care, but it's they have plenty of black eyes over the years. It's just going to be really strange. Especially if Missouri wins that game, then then what does it even mean? If they get it taken away, then a week later, right. or a few days later, right. it's just going to look absurd. So um, that's why I think people want answers, and there's just there's only so many out there. You know, I, I, I one possibility, and I still think this is really extreme. They could just not put anything out until leading until Missouri would clinch the East, and if they haven't decided anything or haven't released anything, then you have to stage the SEC championship game. They can't just replace Missouri two or three days before the game in Atlanta. There's too many logistics involved. So at some point there has to be a drop date where, okay, we haven't heard anything from the NCAA. If Missouri wins this thing, they've got to go to Atlanta. Because, again, I think people also forget this. All of these sanctions cannot be enforced until that ruling comes out. Otherwise, it's they're all on a stay. That's why Missouri softball was able to go to the – NCAA tournament playing the SEC tournament um, even though they are slapped with the same kind of postseason ban
0: yeah, that's a great point and people yeah people do, do forget the details of that I think Missouri's or could also take a I would call this the the UCF approach where you don't go right. and then just claim you on the national championship Maybe that they will create a banner. Correct, they will, yeah, absolutely. just throw a banner up and then just throw a parade and say, hey, Barry Odom's a national championship winning coach, um, and we don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> um, just go completely, completely rogue. Um, no, so they're going to have to come up with an answer soon, and, and now people, I would imagine, who are – of import are telling the people in, on this committee, "Hey, you guys got to make up your mind. They, people need to know." So, inevitably, it will come out like on like a Friday before a game, um, oh, yeah. and kick Missouri in the teeth, or really, you know, give them uh, give them a ton of excitement. It, exactly the kind of thing the coaching staff likes to avoid on the night before a game. Um, so that's just uh, the way it works. The NCAA does what it wants when it wants, and and Missouri's just kind of waiting around, uh, twiddling its thumbs a little bit. They will get a heads up before the rest of us here but they haven't received that as of very recently at least so we'll we'll continue to to monitor that and have the news up at stl today and in the pages of the post-dispatch when it comes dave kind of looking ahead to basketball a little bit as we kind of put a bow on the football talk today missouri men's basketball picked to finish 13th in the 14 team sec basketball media days wrapped up this week uh, talking to Conzo Martin a little bit about this, he's not—he's not upset that people are over or under what he feels is underestimating his basketball team. And some of his better teams have been picked pretty low, and, and he will turn that into into fuel. But what did you make of the ranking? Did it align with where you voted? And uh, what do you make of this team being picked to be second to last in the SEC?
1: I actually—I did not vote for the men. I voted for the women's. And uh, they kind of randomly pick different media folks that cover the leagues to, to vote for these preseason polls. And I'll tell you this, full disclosure, most of these writers, like myself, are totally consumed in football when these ballots come out. And the research put into these is probably not very extensive. I kind of struggled to figure out to, to rank the, the women's programs 1 through 14. And I'm sure a lot of my peers did the same for the men's side. And that being said, I don't quite understand how Missouri is 13th. Now, unless you just look at last year's standings and then look at last year's stats and you very lazily say, well, they lost this Jordan Geis guy who led them in scoring and and, and assist, so they're not going to be better. They were 12th last year. Let's put them down to 13th. If you really paid attention to Missouri, and not many people have, probably for good reasons around the conference and nationally, I think you'd... You'd see that this team brings back some really promising pieces, and is going to be one of the more veteran teams in the SEC. So, I think when I I did it without actually submitting the ballot, I think I put them eighth or ninth. That was probably um, more favorable, obviously, it was than than people who voted. Uh, I think you've got a bunch of teams like six through twelve that are all going to be really similar. You know, that they could just be separated by a game or two. Um, But I, I do think this team is better than. 13th and if they're not then you know we have to have serious questions about the future of the program but um no I, I don't see 13th um you know I, I think Drew Smith is going to change the complexion of this team you know I think those sophomores are all going to be older and wiser and in better shape and you know SEC ready players the two freshmen forward I think are going to be impact players uh and I, I just think Conzo has a better feel for this team than he has before and and has his guys in place so yeah I, I i didn't agree with that but knowing how the process works i'm not shocked that's how it shook out
0: it seems to be like a lot of people are kind of unaware of missouri and i'm not calling them a juggernaut but they do return a lot of guys who played a lot of minutes last year and uh, they didn't really lose any any superstar players now jordan Geis was a good guard a good player a good leader but if you you uh, right. you know you don't look at, at, at his career and go, oh, my God, how can they possibly overcome that? So I saw one article, I think it was CBS Sports, that talked about how Conzo Martin's on the hot seat if this team doesn't win. And I'm like, I don't think anyone from Columbia is saying that. Uh, that's not the vibe that I'm getting. I mean, there's always pressure. Right. But there just seems to be kind of <laughs> a lack of understanding about where Missouri basketball is right now uh, nationally.
1: Yeah, and, and first of all, his contract – um, the way it was drawn up, he had it written in there. If they make the tournament or win 20 games in his first couple seasons, he can't be fired. So, no, he, he's not on the hot seat because there is no seat for him. Right. Um, unless he wants to go somewhere else, like he has at his last few places uh, when he left, you know, Missouri State and left Tennessee and left Cal after three seasons. So, no, I, and I don't, you know, were the crowds great last year? No, they weren't. But are fans growing? impatient with him I don't sense that at all if anything I think Konzo with a lot of Missouri fans sort of gets a benefit of the doubt because of the injuries to the porters and maybe even more of a benefit of the doubt than we normally see with coaches who you know haven't done a spectacular job with their first two teams um, I think I think Barry Odom would have liked to have gotten a little bit benefit of the doubt that Conzo got after his first couple seasons at Missouri when he inherited a rough situation but for whatever reason, no, I I didn't agree with kind of the the slant of of that CBS take that um, you know fans are or patience is is running thin here. Now, if they if they struggle again, if they finish thirteenth in the SEC, yeah, absolutely. Then then I think you have a lot leg, lot of legitimate concerns and and criticisms. But no, I I think they will exceed these expectations.
0: I think there there's kind of two questions right now for this basketball team. it's, it's one, it's the recruiting is fair. I mean, there's been some there've been some wins here regionally in St. Louis. There've also been some misses on some talented players, yeah. and, and and that was kind of the mo. And I think a lot of fans thought, okay, Konzo's never going to let a good player get out of St. Louis. Well, that's impossible. And he's gotten some of them, but he hasn't gotten some of the some of the bigger names. That's completely fair criticism at, at this point. The other side is okay if he's not going to be the guy who pulls in McDonald's All-Americans every year and not going to be the guy that just builds a a Teflon coated pipeline from St. Louis to Mizzou for all the great talent, then he's going to have to develop it and build teams the kind of the old-fashioned way. And that's he's 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 I think he's certainly you know likes the idea of that of developing a team of taking guys like Javon Pickett and turning them into senior studs by the time they're done. At Mizzou. And and that's a that's a good way. I mean, if you look at the teams that win championships that go deep into tournaments, that's how they're usually built. Uh, Very rarely are they led by a McDonald's All-American. And if they are, then they might have five of them and they're all gone the next year. So the kind of the old school way of college basketball that is still working at development. But this is the year to prove that that can happen. You know, this is the year to prove that all those guys who are back that the Jeremiah Tillman's Javon Pickett's and and the rest of these guys got a lot better, that the Mark Smith develop. Because if that happens this year and fans see it, then I think they then I think they look at the recruiting and say, hey, this is about not just recruiting, but recruiting and development. So which which way is this program gonna go under Coach Martin and can there be signs of of legitimate progress in in this year now that these guys have the more experience? I think that's kind of what this year is about for me.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. You know the teams that have one with that kind of blueprint they don't generate a lot of excitement this time of year everybody is focused on you know who has the hot shot freshman um you know the the next wave of one and done obviously the blue bloods get a lot of attention this time of year um you know the, georgia was picked georgia finished behind missouri in the sec last year they finished 13th three games behind missouri they were picked i'm just counting here they were picked well, 11 10 they were picked ninth this year. And a lot of that's because Tom Crean brought in a all American, Anthony Edwards, who's first team all SEC. We don't know how he's going to play as a freshman on a team that's not exactly surrounding him with great talent. But that buzz is, has given Georgia some some excitement and some, um, you know, just some hype going into the season that Missouri doesn't have. And if you look, look at Missouri's roster, though, they don't have an Anthony Edwards. But I think they've got some real substance there. They've got some, some depth you know starting to build and some guys that aren't on all of these preseason, you know, all conference teams but you know I I think there's still something to that group that he has that, he, that he's trying to build. So we'll see. I mean the, the great part about it is eventually we'll we'll stop talking about expectations. We'll actually get to, you know, talk about the team that's on the floor and playing games.
0: Yeah, cannot happen soon enough uh good times when the uh when the basketball season and the football season are we're going together at once. Hey, Dave! Quickly here before we uh, before we run and and I didn't I didn't uh, give you a heads up about this, so I'm kind of probably throwing this out of left field. But I'm curious. Um, pretty cool to see LaDamian Washington um, get a shot with the XFL team here in St. Louis. I like that they got some Mizzou guys on there to try to give a little bit of a buzz and, and get some local Mizzou fans paying attention to the team.
1: Yeah, L- LaDamian Washington drafted, and then Marcus Lucas. Uh, another wide receiver who has bounced around the NFL for a while as a tight end. He's kind of gained some weight. He's a bigger guy now. Uh, both of them, you know, going to be on the, uh, the, the battle Hawks. They, uh, they were both part of that receiving core in 2013 that set a school record for, for total offense. The, you know, the third receiver was Doyle green Beckham and he's, he's not playing professional football right now. So maybe he can get in shape and they can, they can bring him along too. And maybe, I don't know, maybe go get Maddie mock and out of Springfield if he wants to come out of retirement and play too, it could be fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, um and uh that would be certainly draw some interest. But no, I, I Washington's one of the coolest guys that we've covered and, yeah. and, and and this it'll be neat to have him around. Do you have any uh any covering obviously Missouri, do you have any recollections of the of the quarterback, Jordan Tayamu? He never
1: played against Missouri um because of the weird SEC scheduling. Right. You know, and he was just at I think he was at Old Miss for two years and yep, only was their years, starter yeah. for one. He he replaced Shea Patterson once he got hurt before he left for Michigan. They put up a ton of yards with, with Jordan at quarterback. Uh, they weren't very good on defense yet, and I think that was during their postseason ban. But he really lit some teams up. So I, I think that's an interesting pick. You know, he, was, he bounced around some NFL teams, I think, as an undrafted guy this, this past offseason. Um, so yeah, I, I like how the XFL did it. I like how they had these quarterbacks and they just dispersed them to different teams so that everybody at least gets somebody there, uh, and then they can draft you know after that draft every other position group. So we'll see if it all works out. Um, but I'm, I'm happy for LeDamian. He is a uh, he's a good guy. He, you know, he's actually a coaching. Uh, he's the head coach here in Columbia of, of Jefferson Junior. Hives football team and they hadn't won a game in a long time and they I, I think they won their first or second game under Damien and he was having some fun with that so he, he might have to uh leave his post at Jeff Jr. to uh to to when he joins the uh, XFL team so we'll, we'll see if uh he can go back to that next year maybe
0: yeah nice to have some SEC flavor in the uh, local XFL team we'll see how it uh, we'll see how it plays out and we will see how Missouri plays at Vanderbilt. Hopefully got you prepped for that game and encourage you to go ahead and give the podcast a follow-up subscription. Easy to find. It's on iTunes. Our executive producer, Gary Harrelson, is working on getting it fired up at Stitcher. Um, He's going to get that taken care of for us. It's in progress, so thanks for the people who ask. And also you can find it on the website, stltoday.com slash podcast. Do us a favor. Leave us a review. Give us a ranking. um, Let us know how we're doing and we will keep doing these throughout the rest of the football and basketball season. For Dave Matter, I'm Ben Fredrickson. We will talk to you next week.